mountains are still being moved. Hello, and welcome to Raising the Standard with Pastor Owen Moody of the Richmond House of Prayer in Richmond, Kentucky. You're invited to join us each Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for an anointed full-length message from Pastor Moody. After the message, we'll be back to let you know how you can contact us. On this podcast, Pastor Moody brings us a message entitled, Followers, Not a Fan. His scripture text will be taken from the book of John, chapter 10, verses 24 through 30. Here now, Pastor Moody. I want you to go with me this morning, if you would, to John chapter 10. I'm going to preach this morning on being a follower. How many followers do I have in the house? Followers of Jesus. You may not realize that you're following somebody. But I'm going to preach about being a follower of Jesus. If I were to paraphrase it, I'd paraphrase it, I'm not a fan. I'm a follower. A fan is best described in the dictionary as an enthusiastic admirer. A lot of people are fans of a lot of different things for a season, and then their loyalties can change, and they become a fan of something else. But 43 years ago, I met a man who changed my life, and I've been following him ever since then. I intend to follow him till I die, or till the trumpet sounds. Can I get a witness? I'm going all the way with Jesus. And uh, so I want to go to John chapter 10. If you want to stand with me, we're going to start in verse number 24. The Bible said, John chapter 10, verse 24, then the Jews came around to Jesus and said unto him, how long do you make us to doubt? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you. You didn't believe me. You believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. They testify of me. But you didn't believe me. Because... You're not of my sheep. I'm just glad you're a sheep today. And we have a good shepherd. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. Watch this. And they what? Follow me. Glory to God. And I give them eternal life. Woo. Man, that's enough for me to shout right there. If you follow Jesus, you're going to live forever. Amen. What's this? And they shall never perish, be destroyed, die. That's what that means. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Are you with me? Let's go on. Praise God. He then says, amen, verse number 30. My father that gave them to me. Listen, he gave them to me, and he is greater than everybody. God is. How many believe that? He said, no man can pluck you out of my hand. Watch this. And no man is able to pluck you or them out of my Father's hand either. Amen. And then Jesus said, I and my Father are one. I want to preach this morning about being a follower. I think that in every relationship, there comes a time when we have to have what? One author called a DTR. And a DTR simply means determine the relationship moment. I'll give you a little example. I, I read this story about this fellow said when he was a teenager, he met this girl. 
and he really liked her, and he thought he really would like to go with her and really like to become boyfriend and girlfriend. So he invited her out to eat, and he said they sat down to eat. He took her to a pretty nice place. They're just teenagers, just kids. He said, I'm nervous, trying to stumble around, trying to find something to say. And he said, during the appetizer, uh, amen, he said, I learned a little bit about her family. He said, then during the main course, said she told me about her favorite movie. And he said, but when the dessert came, she laid down her fork and looked at him and said, where do you see this relationship going? He said, I ran out and never went back. He was not ready for that kind of moment. Can you say amen? But in every serious relationship, there will come a time when that question has to be answered. And that's what Jesus is asking of us. Are you a fan, an enthusiastic admirer, somebody that's along for all the goodies, or are you a follower? Will you go with me to the cross? Will you go with me wherever I take you and follow me because I'll give you eternal life? Father, thank you for the word of God. Let your spirit touch us today, and we'll give you praise. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You can be seated. I want you to notice what the Jews said in verse 24. They said, how long are you going to make us doubt? How long are you going to, really what they were saying, hold us in suspense? How long are you just going to keep exciting our expectations? And then they said, if you're the Christ, tell us plainly. As you read the book of John, what comes through is in John's gospel that, that at this point and following that Jesus had really begun to put the pressure on the Jews. Remember John chapter 1, he came to his own, but his own received him not. And as many as received him, received him, he gave them power to become something, the children of God. Jesus does not just want a cheap date. He wants a real relationship with you. He wants to be Lord of your life. Well, I don't know if I want to go that far. Oh, you just want to be a fan. You just want to enjoy all the good things that he does, but not really give him your heart. I'm not being cruel. I'm going to go a little, a little bit farther with this. And he was revealing his power to them. He was making them aware of his divinity. The works that they were doing, even Nicodemus came to him by night and said, we know that you're a teacher come from God. And Nicodemus, let me, let me back up, was a part of the Sanhedrin council one of the most learned scholars, schooled under Gamaliel, one of the greatest minds of their time. And he came to Jesus at night and said, I can't do what you do. We know that you're come from God because no man can do the things you do, heal the sick, raise the dead, turn water to wine, cast out devils, open blind eyes, hello. Nobody can do that except God is with him. He's put the pressure on. There's a realization come. What God does is he'll bring you in by his grace, by his mercy, by his love. I, you know, at the church, we do everything we can to, to make you comfortable. We do everything we can to make you uh, come into a place where you feel like Jesus is who you want and you're, you feel good about coming forward. But in reality, the old timers used to say that all of us have to come to a crisis situation, a crisis of faith. There has to come a day, one day, that you realize I'm lost. I'm going to hell. I can't help myself. Something scandalous happened to me. I'll never get over that song. Amen. I was a prisoner. I was bound up in the chains of sin. I won't go into all that mess I was in because it's behind me and I, I choose to forget it. 
But I want to tell you that one day, there I was, and all of a sudden, Jesus came by. And he offered me, amen, a relationship with him. I gave him my heart. I got born again. Come on, somebody. I got saved. I mean, Nick's singing this morning about getting the Holy Ghost talking in tongues. Some of you got nervous. I'm up here about to have a hoedown. That's how I got it, praise God. I got the Holy Ghost talking in tongues. I didn't care who knew it. I got the Holy Ghost, and some of my family had meetings to talk about me. They said he's lost his mind. I said, you're right. They said he'll get over it. Not yet. (laughs) Hallelujah. Jesus wants to plunge deep into your life. Can you say amen? And Secondly, the things he was saying, not only was he trying to pull people to him, but it was driving some people away. I read a story about the man who pastors one of the largest, probably the largest church in Kentucky, one of the largest uh, in, in, uh, in this part of the country. And some years ago, this was many years ago, his church was run about 3,000 people. And he said it was Saturday night before Easter Sunday. And he said, every Easter, he said this, we had to have extra services because there'd be thousands of people from this major city, from Louisville, that would come into the church. And he said they would come in, and he said they came on Christmas, and they came on Easter. And he said, so we call them Christers. And he said, so I was there in that church on Saturday night before Easter. Listen to this. And he said, I've got 3,000 people coming into a service in the morning, most of them American heathens. And uh, he said, I'm sitting in that church and I'm praying, God, I don't have a message. He said, I got nothing. He said, I can't find nothing. He said, everywhere I look in that book, it's like it's closed to me. He said, I said, Lord, I I don't know what to preach to these people. They're coming in the morning. I I mean, I want to preach a message, you know, for for those Christers, that Christmas and Easter crowd. I I want to make them feel like, you know, that, that they like this and it's comfortable and it doesn't mess them up too bad. And they can come to Jesus and and get saved and and they'll really want to because we make Jesus seem sweet to them. And he said, I'm praying. He said, finally, I just threw up my hands in frustration and said, oh, God. Said, if Jesus were preaching to these thousands, what would he say? And that's where you ought to look to begin with. And he said, all of a sudden, said, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, he did. And when he got done, most of them got mad and left. Are you with me? Because Jesus was not trying to build a fan base. Yeah. You know, in Kentucky, we got the big blue nation. And Duke's got the Cameron crazies. And uh, depending on how the season is, they're on and they're off. Somebody help me. And just recently, a lot of the fan base abandoned because the, the, the team took a knee and, and some people are upset about that. And I understand that. I, I understand why they did it. Can I tell you it's different being an African-American in the country than it is being me? Don't get upset with me. I understand why they did. I don't agree with what they did. I don't believe in dishonoring the flag. Are you, are, let me just move on. But I want to tell you, fan bases can change. But when it comes to being a Christian, God is not trying to just get people that want to come because they like all the goodies and all the excitement and all the fluff and all the lights and all the, you know, all the stuff. I love that song that Maverick City Music has got out. I heard it this week. I've been wearing it out. If you, you people that do that 
stuff on your phone where you find stuff. You need, you need, to, you need to look up that song, amen, an old church basement. And I remember when Ultimate Call came here years ago, Dante Bo and all of those, those young people, and they came here in front, they were, they were front singers for Eddie James. And I remember those kids coming to my house and we fed them lunch and we got talking about the old time move of God. I'll never forget it. That, what was the girl's name that came here and sung in the youth conference? Where are you? Michelle, Michelle was sitting at our table and all of a sudden she just fell across the table right in the mashed potatoes speaking in tongues and shouting and they, they just blowed my, my dining room up and we were crying and praising God. Well, they've got this song out and it's called An Old Church Basement and in one part of it, uh, Dante says this. He said, I ain't got nothing wrong with the stage. I ain't got nothing wrong with the lights but he said, I remember an old church basement and he said about 30 teenagers got in there together and he said, one of the guys bought a gift and didn't know how to play it very well but he said we sure touched heaven in that old church basement can I tell you they're not in the basement anymore I saw their picture up on the side of a building in Times Square this week are you hearing me God's got them singing to the nations young people I want to tell you something yippee hallelujah God is not looking for fans he's looking for followers Oh, <laughs> I'm glad you decided to follow Jesus. I wish we should get up and give God a shout of praise this morning. Woo! I thank God for the miracles. I thank God for the answered prayers. I thank God for the shout. I thank God for all the good stuff. But I want to tell you the thing that got me was when he took me to a bloody cross and I saw him hanging there in my place for my sin and he walked out of the grave and he gave me eternal life. Hallelujah. I know, I know, I know, you're all young and you're all pretty and you're all handsome and you all, you've dumped a basketball and all of that mess, but you trust me, one day you're going to look like this. Your head looked like it wore out two bodies, somebody help me. But I want to tell you, I can shout, I can still praise him, I still rejoice because I still see him leading me. I'm still following Jesus. Come on, praise him, somebody. Every day I hear him saying, follow me. Every day I hear him saying, come on. Every day I hear him when I see valleys, when I see struggles, when the doctor gives a bad diagnosis. Brother Bobby, when we thought COVID was going to take us out, I could still hear him saying, come on, baby, follow me. I'm taking you somewhere. I know I shaved this one, but I feel like my beard's growing in this anointing. <laughs> I'm just going to skip over the notes and preach what I feel. In John chapter 6, I mean, uh, Jesus, he feeds a multitude. 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. You've heard the estimates before. I just know what the Bible says. 5,000 men plus their wives and kids. And when they got done, they, they used a the little boy's lunch 
uh, three little fish and five little biscuits. And when he got done, they took up the leftovers and there were 12 baskets fulls of fragments. And somebody said it was leftovers for Sunday dinner. I said, no, sir, it was evidence of a miracle for each of the 12. Can you say amen? And so he puts them in the boat. The Bible said, let me back up. The Bible said these fans gathered around, these, these enthusiastic admirers. I mean, it's in a hard time in Israel. There's, there's poverty. There's a lot of sickness. People, a lot of people there were hungry. And Jesus fed them and they got full. And uh, the Bible said when he did, they came. Read it, it's in there. And they said by force, we're going to make him be our king. We're going to take Jesus. We're going to carry him into the city. We're going to set him on the throne of David and he's going to take over. But the problem was Jesus didn't want to be their king on the throne of David. Not yet. He will be one day. But then he wanted to be the king on the throne of their heart. And that's where he wants to get you. And so he slipped out from among them. And the Bible said he went up in a mountain alone. And he prayed. And while he was praying, his disciples got in a boat, started across the lake, across Galilee, and the Sea of Galilee. And while they're going, a storm arises. They start rowing desperately against it. They, they row forward and blow them backwards. Looks like they're gonna, not going to make it. They cry out. Jesus is way off up there. About, if, I, if I estimate right, about six miles away on top of a mountain. And he comes down off the mountain. And the Bible said when they think it's just about over. Remember what he said. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now I save this for the, this service. I didn't tell the first service this. That boat could not sink. You know why? Because John was in there. And he had to write this gospel I'm preaching from. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Man, I'm feeling good. <laughs> he had to write first, second, third John, can you say, man? And then when they thought they'd shut him up, y'all watch out. Don't mess with me. I'm about to blow up up here. When they thought they'd shut, just shut him up, then God took him to the Isle of Patmos, and he said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard a voice behind me, and I turned around and saw him, hair like wool, eyes like fire, feet like they'd been burned in a furnace. And when he started talking, it roared like a sea. Can you say amen? That boat couldn't sink. Come on, Peter was on there. <laughs> he had an appointment in the upper room. <laughs> Nick, they was 3,000 waiting on him to come out there full of the Holy Ghost and preach so they could get saved. That boat could not sink. He had to write first and second Peter. <laughs> Jesus comes walking on I want to say this, when you can't see Jesus, he sees you. When you can't get to Jesus, honey, he can get to you. <laughs> if he has to come off the mountain and walk on the water, woo, somebody ought to shout right there. How many's ever been in a mess? And you know, and like them girls, I, I told Sarah and, and Brooke, when I said, I'm so proud of you all singing that song. It just stirred me up. I'm just this old worn out Pentecostal preacher, but I got feeling good while they were singing that, Hallelujah. And they came walking on the water. And they went to the other side. Then the fans, you know, the enthusiastic admirers. I said, do you remember Quentin Mills? How many remembers Quentin Mills? I know. Anybody in here old enough to remember Quentin Mills? Some of you are. Lord Mandy's got her hand up. I know she's not that old. 
Quentin Mills, Grace does. Some of y'all, some of y'all ashamed to raise your hand. Come on. Quentin Mills was a Southern gospel singer out of North Carolina. He was a full-blood Cherokee Indian. And uh, he said, I was driving home from work one Wednesday or Friday. And he said, I heard a commotion in the field. Pulled over to see what it was. And long story short, he said, we're all rock music fans. They had a rock festival going on. And he said, I drove by a stadium. Said they were screaming and squalling. He said, I stopped to see what it was. And they all said, we're all football fans. I don't remember exactly the tune, but that's sort of what the song said. And then he started singing, but I'm a Jesus fan. I'm a Jesus fan. When I think about his mercy, I have to raise my hands. Are you with me? And, and I was thinking about that when I was going to preach this. I thought, Quentin, that was good, but I am not a fan. I, I could hear somebody going off and say, you know, Brother Moody don't like Jesus. He's not a fan. <laughs> Shut your mouth and listen. I went beyond being a fan. I'm a follower. That bunch, that, those fans, they got, in, the Bible said, really, it said they took shipping, you know, the King James, it means they all rented a boat. And they came across the lake to where Jesus was. He done went over there and cast the <laughs> legion of devils out of a man, started a whole city revival, drowned a bunch of hogs. <laughs> and when they got there, they said, how'd you get over here? I, I studied this out. When he fed the 5,000, they camped out overnight, Joe. They slept there all night. They got up the next morning thinking, hey, we'll get a happy meal this morning or you know, a breakfast bar or something. He's going to feed us again. They're fans. They're being drawn by the tangible. And, but when they got to where Jesus was, Jesus just looked at them and said, you didn't come because of the kingdom. Amen. He said, you didn't seek me because you saw the miracles. The only reason you're here is because you ate the bread and the fish and you're back trying to appease the flesh. Are you hearing me? I'm here to tell you that I thank God for the goodness. I thank God for all the blessings that he's given me. Can I tell you, I've had cancer pronounced on me and he healed me. Can I tell you, my wife had a major stroke and he delivered her, had two major strokes and he brought her out of it. Can I tell you, she had a blind eye and he opened it. All of that's good, but can I say, that's just fluff the good thing is that he wrote her name in the Lamb's book of life and he said follow me I'm taking you I used to know little granny Moberly I loved that little old woman she said she used to sing an old song she'd start singing she'd say oh Lord you've been so good to me Oh, Lord, you've been so good to me. You have done what this world could not do. And she'd get to shouting. And she'd start singing about what all God done. And one part of the song said, you raised me from the dead. It was over. She was out of control. She'd lose it. Because there was a night that she fell dead in a church floor. And she was dead, they said, for about 20 minutes. And her son-in-law fell down on the floor beside her because he loved her. She was a woman of God and started praying for her. And he prayed so hard that while he was praying, he got baptized in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> and a nurse came up and fell to her pulse and said, give it up, son. She's gone. He would not. He kept praying. And after a while, Granny come up shouting. Woo. <laughs> Hallelujah. And she'd shout all over the church and say, he raised me from the dead. He baptized me in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. She lived to be 90-something. I went to the hospital to see her one time when she was up in her 90s and she was laying in the bed and she had the covers pulled up. Miss Jane, all you could see was her little eyes gleaming. She was, 
And I walked in, I said, we all called her Granny. I said, Granny, how are you doing? She said, Brother Moody, I'm cold. She said, I'm a dying. So I'm going home. I said, well, bless your heart. And I said, well, how, how do you feel? And she kind of raised one little hand out under the cover. And she said, my body's cold. So cold that my feet hurt. But she said, down inside there's a fire. The next thing I know, the other hand come out from under the cover. And then she lost her English. And she's laying there waving her hand, speaking in tongues, that little head and jerking. I'm standing there like, God, I'm in a holy place. And about that time, there's a nurse walked in the door and she walked in. She went. And she looked at me. She said, what is in this room? I said, it's not a what, it's a who. She said, what? I said, it's the Holy Spirit of God. She went. And backed out the door. Hallelujah. I'm here to tell you this thing will keep you when you're old. It'll keep you when you're dying. Oh, forgive me. I'm feeling a fit coming on me. Oh, God, I wouldn't trade this for the world. Hallelujah. somebody think out loud well that's good for them old people let me tell you it's good for children it's good for the young it's good for everybody because death is no respecter of persons and God came to give you life my sheep know my voice they follow me and I give them eternal life Well, preacher, I just don't, I just don't believe you ought to act like that in church. <laughs> well, I could sit up here like I'm half dead. Let them go to the ball game and paint their bodies different colors. And scream like lunatics. Because somebody learned how to shoot a hoop through a, a basketball through a hoop. You know, think about fans. It's easy to be a fan. Chase, stand up back there. We, anybody else in this room play football in school? I mean, organized football. If you did, would you stand up? You played organized football. Look at these guys. Man, I wouldn't want them to run over me. That's why I was always a fan. You see, fans get to sit in the bleachers. And they get to scream their heads off and get mad at the coach and the referees. But they don't ever get hit out in the open field. <laughs> they don't ever have to get down in the stance. Well, y'all want to show me the stance? I don't know how to do it. Just somebody, you know, come on, Chase, show Pep all the stance. Get out there in the aisle, show me the stance. What do you, I don't mean to embarrass you. Show me the stance. What's it look like? Yeah. How many of you all ever watched football? Does anybody know what the stance is? That's you're on the line and you're looking that guy right in the face and you're trying to brace yourself because you know that big 300-pound sucker going to run over you just in the morning. <laughs> 
Fans don't have any skin in the game. And so they can love you or hate you. You get in the game, you get run over. You get hit. Every now and then you get to hit somebody. Make a touchdown. Shoot a three. It was all over with. It's the team that walks into the locker room with the coach. And Jesus said, that's what I'm doing for you. I'm bringing you from nowhere. And I'm taking you somewhere. And he said, I don't want you to be my fan. I want you to be my follower. I saw that picture of your little mama this week that you put on the internet. And I looked at that little woman and God, and I said, there's one of them right there. She caught up, oh, I said, her health is gone, and, and she's in, in, you know, in distress right now. They're taking care of her. But I remember her shout. <laughs> Woo! I, I remember, like, ma'am, all pain, and some of them others. You know, I remember, amen, Vola, Sister Vola Rodas and Aunt Mary Middleton, all of them. I remember them old saints. I, I seen Betty Salmon. Say, amen, where's Davis? He in here, he here in the first service. I seen Betty Salmon. She's 84 now. And I remember when Betty used to get up and say, that little sweet voice and her little whip lips would start quivering and tears would start running down her face and, and if you could sit there and listen to her singing not Christ because you was had you was stone cold hard hearted buddy that's all it was Jesus is looking for followers can you say man come on Nick Jesus didn't call us to be fans but followers and just go ahead I'm, I'm going to say one more thing I studied this this week, and I got studying about followers, who they really are. And I was reading about Elijah and Elisha. And, you know, Elijah, what can you say? He went upon Carmel and called down fire. He prayed, and, and the heavens shut up, and it didn't rain for three and a half years, and didn't rain a drop till he prayed again. That's a man of God. But he's got this, he's got this, this fellow, uh, this boy, his name's Elijah, and uh, and, uh, and, 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 and I need somebody to be, a, be an Elijah. Boy, will you be an Elijah for me? Come, come here, will you? And, uh, and now I need somebody to be an Elisha. Any of you young guys want to be Elisha? He's just the prophet of the double portion. I mean, if you don't want it, just uh, <laughs> come on. There you go. Here's, here's my guy. And so this is, Brother Roy, if you don't care, stand right up here. Just walk right up here and stand right up here. And th this is Elijah. And when, when this guy comes to town, people shake in their shoes because he's so powerful with God. But Elisha, you know what he does? Like this. He follows, stick your hands up, Brother Roy. He follows him around and he pours water over his hands and he washes his hands. Whatever Elijah needs, he's his servant. Elijah looks at him and says, I'm, I'm hungry. He says, don't worry, Master. And he runs, gets him something to eat. Elijah says, I'm ready to go to bed. He runs and fixes him a place to lay down. That's what he does. He's, he's just a servant. That's, that's what he does. So then one day, God's getting ready to take Elijah home. He's going to catch him up in a whirlwind. Chariot of fire is going to come down, separate him. He's going to go up in a world. I mean, he's going out with a bang. Can you say amen? And, uh, and Elisha's, I want you to come down here. And here's what I want you to do, Brother Roy. I, I want you to just kind, of, just kind of walk back and forth. I want you right on his heels where he goes while I'm preaching. And so they're walking along, and, and one day they, they stop. 
And Elijah turned around and looks at Elisha and says, Now, I'm going down to Jericho. You wait here. And Elisha said, As the Lord lives and my soul lives, buddy, I'm not going anywhere. What do you mean? Jericho's the place of great deliverance where the walls fell down. So they start walking. Well, they walk a little farther, and after a while, Elijah stops again and looks around at him and says, uh, I'm going to Bethel. You wait here. Elisha says, that's the house of God. As the Lord lives and your soul lives, I'm not staying here. And so finally Elijah looks at him and says, what do you want? And Elisha thinks, when a man of God says, what do you want? Don't say, I need $2 for a happy meal. I was in R.W. Shambach's tent meeting meet one time. He was a powerful man back then. And just for his age, he did what it did to him. But R.W. was in the tent. And this, he was praying for people. And God was moving. Healing was taking place. And this guy come walking up there. This woman come walking up there and said, Brother Shambach said, uh, he, usually, he was just praying. But he stopped and turned and said, he had this real shrill voice. I can't do it. I wouldn't want to. But he looked at her and said, what is it you want? And she whispers to him, and she said, I smoke cigarettes, and I can't quit. He said, what? She said, I smoke cigarettes, I can't quit. He laid his hands on her, dipped his hands on her, laid his hands on her, and said, God, if she ever puts another cigarette in her mouth, kill her. I guarantee you she quit smoking. <laughs> There was a rich man came into Wigglesworth meeting one time. And he was, they said he was very, very wealthy. And he had stomach, probably cancer. They didn't know what it was back then for sure. And he walked up on the stage and, and uh, they, they, the, the, the preachers all made a big fanfare. Oh, Brother Wigglesworth, this is the richest man in town. Be, handle him easy. And the old guy walked up there, kind of being over like this, and walked up to, Shamb uh, to Wigglesworth. And Wigglesworth said, what do you need, brother? He said, I need to be healed. God spoke to Wigglesworth and said, hit him in the stomach. Wigglesworth said, why? God said, hit him in the stomach. And he said, okay. He went to, God said, no, I mean hit him. And they said, Smith Wigglesworth drew back and hit that old man so hard in the stomach, it raised him up off the floor. And people went, in the room you could hear it. <gasps> and the old man fell over. And then all of a sudden he stood up and said, well, glory to God. And he got the feeling and he started shouting. You need to hear what the man of God says. So they start walking again. Go ahead. They start walking again. And finally, they stop again. And he said, what do you want? And he said, I want a double portion of your spirit. And then he looks at him and says, well, I'm going to Jordan. He said, now, if you see me when I go, you can have what you've asked. Let me translate that. If you follow me to the end, you'll have it. And then he says, I'm going to Jordan. You wait here. He said, are you kidding? That's the place of crossing over into the plenty of God. And he followed him. And, and old Elijah took off his mantle. And he rolled it up and he smote the waters. And the Bible said they parted hither and thither. And all the time the sons of the prophets are coming to Elisha and saying, don't you know your master is going to be lifted up from you then? He's saying, shut up. Why? I always wondered, why did he say shut up? He didn't have time to listen to their stupid mess. 
Because they'd be saying, you better run off somewhere and find you another job. He's going to leave. You're going to be left out here by yourself. I'm waiting for the double portion. And so finally they get there. And Elijah smites the water. The water's part. And God catches him and takes him. Well, you stay right there. And he's gone. Okay, you can go back and sit down to your pretty wife. He's gone. He's in heaven. So then Elisha comes back to Jordan. And he looks and there's... This ain't big enough, but it's Elisha's mantle. And it's laying on the floor, on the ground. And he, he walks over and he picks it up. And he rolls it up. Now, now rolls it up means, did you ever flip your sister with, or anybody with a, you didn't have a sister. Did you ever flip your wife with a dish rag? You know, once. <laughs> once. <laughs> <laughs> you're not supposed to have fun when you're preaching, but you can't help it sometimes. And he walks back down to the Jordan River. And the sons of the prophets are over on the hill watching. And here's what he says. He says, where is the God of Elijah? And all of a sudden, that mantle was holding his hand. Fire went through his body. And he took the mantle. And he smote the water. And it rolled back. And he walked through on the other side. Thank you, honey. And the sons of the prophets said, the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. That's partially true. But what he really got was what he asked for. A double portion. First thing he does, they take him into a city. They say the water's poison. He says, get me a new cruise or a new bowl. Put salt in it. He walks up to the waters. And he looks at a poison stream and everybody, everything in the country has been dying. The water's no good. It's, it's ruined. And he walks up and he just dumps the salt in the river and says, Thus saith the Lord, I've healed these waters forever. And do you know to this day, I've been there, that water still flows just as beautiful and clear as it did from that day forward. The Bible says that. And then he's walking along and all of a sudden a bunch of, the Bible said a bunch of youth, youths. That's hard to say. I want to be like that guy in that movie and say youths. But it's not youths, it's youths. Young people. They come out and they start saying, go up, old bald head. And we think they were just a bunch of, you, I know what y'all get in your mind, a bunch of little kids just being mischievous. But Elisha turned around and spoke a curse over them. And two she-bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of them. Well, isn't that terrible? Wasn't talking about little kids like Caroline. I thank God Caroline's back today. She's out of the hospital. Praise God. Or like your little babies that's back there in children's church. Let me tell you who these people were. They were young men who were at an age that they should be following God and listening to the prophet, but they were rejecting the words of Elijah because the country had been turned and given to follow Baal. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? And Elijah just took the prophets down and killed all of them and all that. And they, so they were scoffing at God's power. You, you don't scoff the man with the double portion anointing. And so when they did, he cursed them. And she-bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of them. Because when they were saying, go up, you know what they were saying? They were saying, ah, go on with Elijah. They didn't believe the rapture story anyway. So they just go on. But God was saying, I want you to know I'm raising up followers today. And you may not be Elijah, but how many's glad you can be Elijah? You'd be the follower who stayed faithful and got the double portion. That's what, that, that's what the Lord wanted me to tell you all today.
I'm looking for followers. I'm not a fan. Well, I am a fan. I am you know, an enthusiastic admirer of Jesus. You can't help it. But with me, it didn't stop with the fishes and loaves or the prosperity message or the healing message or even talking in tongues. Huh? I mean, Pentecostals, we majored on talking in tongues so long people thought that's all there was to this. Speaking in tongues is an evidence. It's, it's not the goal, it's a gateway. <laughs> I got a hush. How many are glad you're a follower? How many want to be a follower? Raise your hand. Say, I've been a fan long enough. I want to be a follower. Stand with me. And said our hearts on you. Lord, come and We hope you enjoyed today's message and we'll tune in again next time. Raising the Standard is the media ministry of the Richmond House of Prayer in Richmond, Kentucky. For more information on the various outreaches and ministries of the Richmond House of Prayer, please visit our website at www.rhop.life. Thanks for listening.